Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is podcast 249. I want to wrap up the session on elders, bishops, and pastors, shepherds. Remember, all of these words are used interchangeably for one office, the office of leadership. The reason I say the office of leadership is because the primary word that is used to describe it is the word elder, which has to do with leadership, leadership of the ancient tribes of Israel, leadership of a nation, leadership of the church, leadership in every way. It is a concept that has to do with leadership, with wisdom with a season of being a sage, one who has lived most of their lives, and now they are bringing along those who are behind. Remember that when Paul said to young Timothy, let no man despise your youth, that more than likely he was already 40 years of age. And so I'm saying to you that all of us need to be very careful before we put those who are unseasoned in strategic positions of leadership, because all we need to do is look around and see what happens. Now, does that mean that those who are older should be wiser, should be more seasoned, that they don't mess up? Absolutely not. But I can tell you that when I turned 60 years of age, I began to do a research project on those that for the last 2,000 years have made significant contributions to theology, to art, to music, to medicine, to education, every area and arena that I could find. And just the research I did points to a greater body of research that I wish someone would do. I found out that 70 to 80% of all, it just depends on whether you use 60 or 70 as a gauge, between 70 and 80% of all the significant contributions that have been made to all the great areas of life for the last 2,000 years have been by men and women, mostly men, that are beyond the age of 60. And all I'm saying is when I went to work for W.A. Criswell, he was 68 years old. He didn't start the Criswell College until he was 60 years of age. He didn't write the Criswell Study Bible and have that put together as an editor, as a general editor, until he was 67, 68 years old. And I could go on and on. Tim LaHaye, the last time I was with Tim, I asked him, when did you write your first Left Behind series, the first book, Left Behind? And he said, well, as you know, I had written many books, and he had. And we were talking about that, how that I knew him as an author, not of fiction, whether that fiction's based in truth or what. It was a different kind of writing. And I asked him when he first did that, and he said, the first one was at age 76. 
You see, what I'm saying is that many times when elders are put in leadership, they're put there because they've done a lot of life. I'm not saying you need to be past 60 to be an elder, but what I am saying is I have talked with many authors, and they say that nobody should write a serious book until they're 50 years of age. I think if you talk with Chuck Swindoll, he will back me up on that. And the reason is, is because there's just a lot of life if you live and you walk with God that is past 50. As a matter of fact, that may be the age when you really begin to understand who you are and who God is. And when you understand who God is truly and begin to understand that, you'll begin to understand who you are, who I am. So there is something about this idea of an elder. Then there's the word overseer, episkopos, overseeing things and accountability. All of that is impregnated, inherent within these words. And then the word shepherding, which is primarily a feeder of the sheep, a protector of the sheep, a provider for the sheep. We've just got to get away from this idea that the pastor and the staff are caregivers in the sense of hospital chaplains and uh, doing that kind of work because guys love to do that. And then they couldn't preach their way out of a paper bag and their people are not fed. And I've heard people say, well, he's not a good preacher and he, and he doesn't really feed us, but he's a good pastor. Well, if he's not really feeding you, he's not a good pastor. He may be a great chaplain. He may be a great uh, devotional guy. But if he's going to lead the flock of God and feed the flock of God and oversee the flock of God, his primary, his primary responsibility is to lead and to feed. That's just what the scripture says. You say, well, I don't agree with that. It doesn't matter if you agree with it. It's what the Bible says. And so we've got to get off of this idea of we come up with a job description for the man of God. Every church ought to have as a job description, the basis of that job description, these three words. Needs to be a leader. Needs to be the one that casts the vision. Needs to be that person who is leading in integrity, dignity, all of those things. Needs to be a person that can exercise oversight, not as a Lord over God's heritage, but as one who is a humble servant of the Lord. And then one who will feed the flock of God and will protect the flock of God and has the courage to do so. So I would just say to you, those are the basis of what we need to look at if we're talking about someone who's going to lead the flock of God. Let me just say one final word to my brethren, especially those who are teachers and preachers. Spend the time investing your life into learning how to understand the Word of God. Everywhere I go, what people are saying is we are sick of sermons of three-point alliterations, four-point, five-point alliterations, and everything ends with some story or it starts with some joke. I'll tell you what people are saying to me, Pastor Tony, what we really want is someone to explain the scriptures to us. We want to know what it says. I'm not the first to say it. Paige Patterson was the first I ever heard this. I think uh, his son-in-law, Mark Howell, has done a great dissertation on this. But, you know, if you're going to be a man of God, you need to have the word inside of you, uh, the logos. You've, you've, got to, you've got to explain the logos. You've got to lay it out. There has to be integrity behind that. The ethos has to be there. Then the pathos. Yes, I know that's uh, Aristotle, but what I'm 
I'm telling you is, it's reality. Whether it came from a secular person or not, that is biblical truth. We've got to have all of those if we're going to be good preachers. And we have got to follow the greatest, the greatest example, really, of biblical exposition and explanation that I have seen in the Bible. There are several of them that are great paradigms for us to follow, messages and sermons that have been preached by Peter at Pentecost and so forth. But the writer of the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11, I mean, just really, really lays out in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, just how to preach a message. And I'm telling you, it has to be studied because faith is an abstract concept. I believe, again, as I have said before, that this is Paul's theology and that Luke was his amanuensis, his secretary. And I believe what the apostle Paul did was gave the explanation of faith. And he did that in the first couple of verses of what we call Hebrews chapter 11. It is the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things hoped for. All of these great definitions, but I'm telling you, after you read the first couple of verses of Hebrew, uh, yes, you can say, well, that's what it says, but it is such an abstract concept, like many spiritual truths, that it has to be illustrated, it has to be amplified. And so that's exactly what Paul does. He explains and gives the definition of faith. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And he talked about that whatever it is was how the elders were made right with God and obtained a good report. But then he goes on to explain it by illustration. Again, let me just give you the rule. The fact is any great teacher and preacher. And I just happen to follow along with this, not saying I'm a great preacher, I'm a great teacher, but I have learned great principles of teaching and preaching. And one is that you define whatever it is that you're talking about, you explain it. But part of that explanation is illustration. It is amplification. And the more abstract the concept, the more abstract the concept the more numerous and the more concrete has to be the illustrations. You have to have concrete illustrations. Why? Because abstract truth, in order to be understood, has to be concretized. And it has to be made solid for the people. Remember, you're dealing with people that haven't spent days, months, years in seminary studying concepts like you have, and so it has to be explained. Paul had to take the great mysteries of God and make them palatable for the common person that he was dealing with who were not used to studying as he was as a rabbi coming up from his youth, studying the Word of God and pouring over the Scriptures. And so he began with Abel and went all the way through a great list of what we call heroes of the faith, explaining what faith is, illustrating what faith is, concretizing what faith is. And if you look through Hebrews chapter 11, you can read the definition and still not know any more basically than what you did. But when you start reading the illustrations, all of a sudden, It's like windows that let light into a room, and all of a sudden you begin to see things that you hadn't seen before that were right there beside of you, but you didn't see them. Why? You didn't have light. That's what illustrations are. 
And so if your illustrations, no matter what book you got them from or what life story you're giving, if they don't shed light on your main point and what you're trying to illustrate, then it's just a story. It might be a good story, but it doesn't help people understand. So we have to work at this. And then, of course, at the end of that long list of the heroes of faith, what the Apostle Paul does is in chapter 12 says, therefore, you see, always there has to be a therefore. For, wherefore, there has to be, so what? We have to answer the question, so what? And you know as well as I do, by listening to preachers in pulpits across America, on TV and radio, so many guys are in pulpits every week, and they're answering questions that no one is asking. And so we have got to scratch where people are itching. We have to tell them, this is why this is important. This is what I'm trying to get to. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, therefore, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us and let us run the race that is before us. You see, this is why he was saying all of that about faith is to encourage us. Our weak need, hands hanging down, life. He says, get up off the floor. You're not a victim. Get up and start living life because we are living life by faith, not by sight. You're having a tough time. Did you not read what happened to all of those great heroes of faith? Every one of them suffered. Do we think we're any better than the Lord Jesus? He said, if I suffered, you will suffer. If they hated me, they will hate you. But if they listen to my words, they will listen to yours. And so next time we will deal with deacons, but pastors, let's preach the word of God. That's why God raised us up to teach and preach to this generation and to the generation to come. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.